listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. I'm Nick Savage, and it's Tuesday, April 24th. And I'm Jake Langlois, and we thank you for tuning in. It is the last few days before classes end, and it kind of feels like the calm before the storm. This week, we bring you coverage of Earth Day, celebrated last week on April 20th. We also spoke with someone that had a unique experience playing an extra in the movie The Hunger Games. In addition, Dave returns with this week's holidays. The Hunger Games took the world by storm when it was released not too long ago. The movie adaptation of the enormously popular book was filmed right here in the mountains of North Carolina. Grant Buckner recently sat down with someone who had an opportunity to play an extra. I volunteer as tribute! The Hunger Games is currently owning at the box office, but did you ever wonder where all those extras came from? Today I'm sitting down with NC State student Danielle Souter, who had the opportunity to be an extra in the Hunger Games. Danielle, you're a sophomore in the School of Design, correct? I am, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, wow. It's basically uh, product innovation, so coming up with uh, sort of new ideas, uh, building off of existing products to make them more friendly to people uh, and to make them, you know, more, I guess, better solutions um, to things. So it's a cool major. Get to draw and build things. How does a design major become an extra in the Hunger Games? Oh, wow, yeah. Um, so my mom is actually very involved with acting. So she's been doing it since she was very young. Um, and so this <laughs> actually hasn't been the first film I've been in. Um, what other films have you been in? Um, okay, so third grade, Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was in uh, the circus scenes for that. Uh, I was third grade, so really young. Um, and then I guess moving up to Charlotte, I had the opportunity to do One Tree Hill, um, the second season, um, out in Wilmington, and then also Leatherheads. Yeah, where was that filmed again? That was actually in Charlotte with George so, like, Clooney. George Clooney, yep. Yeah. And then uh, Hunger Games, and then a little independent film up in Monroe, uh, North Carolina. But yeah, so anyways, my mom, you know, really into acting. She hears a lot about auditions and. Um, casting calls and so she just sort of got herself in it but i wasn't supposed to be in it so that's a funny story of how that happened well tell us a funny story <laughs> um we walked into um, the fitting for her and that day i was actually at my day off from work so i just wanted to like check it out like you know wasn't really thinking i'd get in at all wasn't trying really but my mom's just like come on you need to do this with me it's an ex extremely cool um experience and so she's like, go ask the casting agent. It's like, no. I was like, no, that's awkward. I, not a refusal, but, you know, it's one of those things where you have to have a picture. You have to have a resume like with you. It is a professional thing. Um, but what was so cool is I just walked into Tona Danquist's office, the casting agent for Hunger Games. And I just, like, kind of walked in and acted like I knew, knew what I was doing, which, I mean, I'd done a few things, but I'm not really the you know, extreme actor, actress type. Um, and so walked in, I was like, hey, you know, would you by any chance have extra space for another extra? My mom's working on the film. You know, I've done... Extra, extra space. Yeah, extra, hey, look at you. <laughs> but I was just like, you know, I've done a couple of films before. I know what this is like. And, you know, if you have any opening space, I'd love to join this project. And so she took my information, like, grabbed my stuff. But she's just like, right on the spot, I was like, sure. So, cool. <laughs> so I bet a lot of people are probably like really upset about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. What was it like being in wardrobe and hair and makeup? 
Well, okay, so they had two different scenes um, or two different sections of scenes um, that were actually filmed in Charlotte, where I was from. And it was actually really cool because it was entirely filmed at an old abandoned cigarette factory. Yeah. Um, And so they built all the capital scenes indoors. And then I had the opportunity of working on the District 11 scenes, like the riot scenes and stuff like that. Um, But it was really cool. Wardrobe was neat um, because you just walk in and they have lines and lines and lines of different outfits and patterns and textures. And there's, like I said, two different types of um, characters. So the capital scenes, which are very edgy and kind of very dolled up, you know, uh, very intricate patterning and, and strange designs. And then they had the peasants sort of looking costumes, um, which I was wearing because I was in District 11. Um, so that was kind of fun. We, they picked our shoes. Um, I had this very long, like, blue uh, floral print. And then the hair and makeup was very interesting. Um, they, like, just take your hair, like, for me, since I have long hair, they, like, took it back, you know, did all these kind of pinwheels, like, braiding, um, and then, because District 11 is the, for- like, not the forest, but the the grain, uh, you know, farming district, they would take paint and, like, dirt, and they would basically make my hands look like I'd been in the field. Like, legit dirt? Not legit dirt. It was, like, it was, like, paint kind of stuff that they would just really rub in um, to your hands, uh, onto your face, pretty much anywhere that <laughs> anywhere there needs to be dirt, yeah, exactly, right. And so every place that your mom was like, you know, shower, get that off. Um, but yeah, so filthy, like looking, and um, it was definitely very interesting kind of costuming. It was fun. Yeah, that's awesome. What was it like to be on a major motion picture set? Major set, yeah. So I think each each film is different. Um, each film has a different sort of sort of uh, atmosphere and so I because I'm a design student I always like to focus on the set like what people are doing what it looks like and that was really exciting for me um, because we were you know first filming the um, District 11 tribute scenes and they actually cut those out um, in the film edit Oh, okay what happened there there was a big portion cut out um, and it was actually I think because um, Steven Soderbergh um, who directed Oceans, who directed a few other things. He was a guest director that day. And so he was filming the riot scenes for District 11 and um, the tribute scenes. Um, and so it was really cool because he was, like, right up there, like, you know, filming us and on our faces. But, yeah, it was really neat because, um, you know, they had this huge screen, like, t- to act as though we were watching it. And I got to um, see Rue. Um, kind of walk on and off the stage and it was just really a neat experience um, because you're with a lot of other people that are like in this character yeah. and you you don't necessarily become the characters but you sort of can envision yourself like yeah. um, and so it was neat because they would ask us to like be excited like they just kissed or um, you know she has just gotten a loaf of bread like be like oh that's so sweet yeah. um, and so it was a lot of like pantomiming and role playing um, but it's just even neat to like talk to other people on the set too, yeah. who actually work there, and this is their life. They do this yeah. every single day, and it is exhausting. I mean, we are in these little like you know vintage heels, you know, in our costumes, standing all day. But they're like running around and like getting things for people who don't have them, and making up hair again. So it's, I just think it's beautiful how everyone 
has so much teamwork on a film. It was really impressive because they have people for each different role. Um, They have people who are in charge of sound, who are in charge of strictly the extras and placing them around. Um, There's the director who's obviously like figuring out the images of the angles. Um, But I was always under the impression, like, I guess, watching films, the director was in charge of all those things. And in a sense, he is. But he delegates it to a few other directors of these other sub subcategories, you know, lighting, sound, etc. Um, so it was really cool because they would have obviously their like microphones and, you know, they'd be sort of not screaming, but like yelling very, yeah. you know, forcefully when times that they needed to get our attention or, or change a, a scene up. But it's hard work. People sometimes think, oh, being an extra, being on a film is just going to be this glorified, like, experience. You just get to see actors, like, famous people. But I filmed for probably 12 hours at each time. And you're just standing and you're walking back and forth. Um, So you really have to love it. You really have to have a patience to do it. And, I mean, for me, I just love being there just to see it all put together. So um, I enjoy that part. And you had said you didn't necessarily see yourself in the film, but that it was still really worth it to you. Totally. Oh, extremely. And I actually saw my mom. Like, (laughs) I mean, I was like, and I was like so grateful for that because I knew that she was like really excited about it. And like, she does a lot of acting. So like, it was great to to see that. But, um, but yeah, even just like watching the film, I watched it this past weekend. I actually got to see people that I was actually working with that day in the, in the, in the scenes. And then. Um, also my mom does an acting class in Charlotte with JTA talent and the guy who is one of the guards that brings in, um, one of the people like head on face shot. I saw him. I know him personally. I met him at a Starbucks before. So it's just really, it makes it such a small world. That's a really neat experience. Danielle Souter, NC State sophomore, and she was in the Hunger Games. Thank you so much for being here today, Danielle. No problem. Thanks for, you know, wanting to hear about this adventure. Brian the Triangle, I'm Greg Buckner, 88.1 WKNC. We're going to take a quick break, uh, but stick around. We've got a lot more coming up. And welcome back. April 20th was Earth Day, a day set aside to remind us all to take care of our Mother Earth. DeAndre Jones recently sat down with a member of the Office of Sustainability right here at NC State. Ladies and gentlemen, we are fighting an unnecessary war against the world. Slowly, humans are killing the world today with pollution and wasteful habits. It is our job as the new generation to slow down and eventually stop this world domination. We are our own weapons of mass destruction. And that is why David Dean came to talk to me in the studio today about Earth Day and what we here at NC State are doing to promote sustainability. Hey guys, today I'm in the studio with David Dean, Outreach and Communications Coordinator in the Sustainability Office of NC State. In case you guys didn't know, Friday the 20th was indeed Earth Day and uh, there was a huge expo going outside in the brickyard. David, for those who didn't make it, could you describe what was happening? 
Oh, sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, DeAndre. No problem. It's always a pleasure to be in the studios of WKNC, <laughs> the greatest college radio station on the planet. <laughs> so once again, it's what, the ninth annual Brickyard Celebration for Earth Day? We had over 80 vendors. That's campus departments, community groups, student groups. And some vendors uh, like Beliza, all of their stuff is fair trade. And they, you know, had stuff from Guatemala, from Nicaragua. And this was all these handcrafted items were from uh, underprivileged peoples who needed some help getting their product out there. So everywhere from that to how students can get involved uh, in an environmental group on campus. You mentioned the underprivileged people. Was the money that they were making from the items, were they going back to the people? I think they do give a percentage of their profits. I know, in fact, they do. They purchase a certain amount of product from South America or whatever country they are buying from, and then they pay a certain price and they pass that on to the customers here. So, yes, there it definitely goes to create jobs in third world countries. So, personally, were you out there on Friday on the Brickyard? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yes. <laughs> Did you have a good time? Oh, I had a blast. It was a beautiful day. We couldn't have asked for better weather. And, you know, the energy was really high. There's lots of good positive thoughts and ideas flowing around. Lots of good new partnerships being made. There was, in fact, Students for Solar student group there. And they had a really cool thing where they had a solar-powered radio um, going on. So they, they had their own little music you know jukebox powered by the sun. Wow, I might have to get them on here for an interview. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, as Outreach and Communications Coordinator, what is your job in the Sustainability Office? It's varied. Uh, it ranges from creating a social media strategy. When I was brought on, the office was brand new. We didn't have a Twitter or a Facebook presence. We didn't have an e-newsletter. So we launched all of that. And our Twitter feed has picked up tremendously in the past year. Our Facebook feed is really popular right now. And and especially around Earth Day, I'm sure that's given a bit of a bump. But it, it's some of, it's social media strategy, it's development. I raise funds for the office. I raise funds for events. Proud to say that we've raised uh, several tens of thousands of dollars in one of the worst uh, economies. And that's mainly through corporate partnerships and on-campus giving as well. You know, the College of Engineering, PAM, have been some strong supporters and, and as well of course uh, the college of natural resources you know it's ingrained in what they do over there so at nc state how much progress would you say that we are making towards becoming a more green more sustainable university sustainability has really been something that has been a part of the mission and the thrust of nc state since its inception you know, we've always been agricultural and engineering college, and a lot of that revolves around sustainability. Really, what we've done in the past four years is taken it to a, a level where we're trying to change the culture of campus and to one where people are more aware of their actions and the fact that little steps make a big impact. We're asking students and faculty and staff to save 5% on our electric bill this year. Any idea, I'll ask you a question now, any idea what our average annual electric bill is at NC State? Um, I'm guessing it must be high, so some random number of 
500,000? Uh, 22 million. Wow. Okay. Yes. So a 5% reduction would be a savings of $1.1 million. And, and other universities have, through a behavior change campaigns, have seen a 5 to 15% reduction in their electricity use. So that's through pulling the plug on electronics when they're not in use. That's hitting the switch on the light switch when you leave the room or the bathroom. That's shutting the sash in the, in the laboratories, uh, the fume hood sash. We have roughly four or 500 fume hoods on campus, and each one cost us about $6,500 a year to use. Um, so the, the lower the sash, the less energy it's using. And so all of that's helping NC State become more aware. That's part of my role as well as outreach coordinator is coordinating and uh, developing those programs. It's something that's challenging. We have a campus of 14 million built square feet, an average on-campus visitors. We have about 41,000 people on campus on any given day. So we're the 17th largest city in the state of North Carolina. We have a huge challenge ahead of us as far as energy and, and water uh, and, and some of our sustainability goals. Um, in North Carolina and in a wider scope, the world today, how important is the topic of sustainability? You find it in our theme of Earth Day, really. I think you can kind of bring it back to Earth Day in a way, which was inspiring a greener workforce. We see it in our relationships with corporate entities, with Centennial Campus Development, and it's everywhere. We we have speakers come in, and I think if you went to any, I see you're wearing a Pool College of Management sweatshirt, and if you went to any of the uh, leadership speaker series they had this last fall, each one of those speakers touched on sustainability in some shape or form. I mean, Wells Fargo, you know, everybody touches on it. It's not just a fad anymore. Uh, we are in a different day and age right now, where and we're moving to a, a new phase of human existence. And your generation and my generation, we're going to be the ones that are going to be around to see it implemented. And we've got to stand up and make a change. Yeah, definitely. In the, in the pool college, I've definitely noticed that green business is becoming a really, really big topic. And if you, if you have new ideas for innovation, then you are very, very useful in the workforce today, students. So it's definitely just not a fad anymore. Do you have any word on how we're doing on the electric bill so far? Well, last year, we saved 5% just through what we can attribute to twisting knobs and making sure the boilers and all, everything's running more efficiently. So it's possible. Our fiscal year is July 1 to June 30. That's about the time when the Energy Management Department crunches a bunch of data and figures out what our savings and were for, for the, the year. Triangle, so uh, National Jones, Energy Awareness Month is in October, and we hope to be able to announce by that point what the savings were for this year. Well, David, thanks for coming in today, definitely. Before you leave, you want to give us the name of the Twitter account? Sure. Follow us on Twitter at NC State Sustain. That's at NC State Sustain. And as always, you know us, WKNC underscore EOT. We are happy to have David Dean on the show today. Any of your last words, David? Thanks for having me. And check us out online, sustainability.ncsu.edu. That's sustainability.ncsu.edu. Thanks for your time.
The Rolex Young Laureates program shines the spotlight on innovators between the ages of 18 and 30 who have had a profound effect on their communities through projects that require much perseverance, creativity, and courage to develop. We were lucky enough to have one of these extraordinary people drop by the station for an interview. Well, thank you very much. My name is Nnemeka Chidabere Kegwonu. I'm from Nigeria. Nnemeka is a recipient of the award who develops radio broadcasts to help farmers in Nigeria learn sustainable farming techniques, and he also distributes health information services. So the organization uses radio and field practical demonstrations to educate farmers and uh, improve the yield of farmers and the household income of farmers. We teach farmers using radio on different methods in crop cultivation. We teach them how to produce new variety of crops. We teach them how to rear new variety of livestock, how they can, of course, uh, minimize the impact of pests and diseases in crops. We broadcast daily commodity prices from about 18 regional markets, giving them commodity prices of different crops that they grow so that they can decide which market to go and in the long term which crop to grow if the crops are improving in prices. You know, we broadcast weather information. We use the radio to educate young people on agricultural entrepreneurship and women on how to start up small businesses. The broadcasts are in the local language and last 10 hours each day. Funding for the broadcasts comes from a variety of sources. Well, we get our funding from international organizations like the United Nations Educational, Cultural and Scientific Organization, UNESCO. We get support from the World Bank. We've gotten funding from the Clinton Foundation. Um, if, if regulatory authorities in Nigeria regulates radio broadcasting. That's the Nigerian Broadcasting Commission, NBC. And we have their support in the sense that we are trying to complement the effort of government in fighting rural poverty by using radio as a tool in agricultural extension services. And uh, we get a lot of support from a couple of U.S.-based foundations like Mulago Foundation, based in California, the Perry Foundation, Halloran Philanthropies. A lot of local NGOs, too, give us a lot of support. We get support from research institutes in Nigeria, universities, and farmers themselves are like the biggest support base we get. Although Nigeria is primarily rural, many of the people have radios, so broadcasts such as these are an ideal way of communicating to the target audience. The people of Nigeria definitely benefit from these broadcasts, too. We saw an opportunity to bring information to people that will benefit them. And we also saw an opportunity with the unreliability and ineffectiveness of agricultural extension services in Nigeria. Uh, agricultural extension services should be what farmers should use, you know, in acquiring new skill, in having access to new technology, in knowing what is happening in different markets. But, you know, because government funding for agriculture keeps on reducing because um, the advent of oil in Nigeria, agricultural extension services had poor funding. And that very important agency of government have to gradually become ineffective. So we saw an opportunity in that, using radio as a means for agricultural extension services. We've collected feedback uh, using phone calls to the radio station, using SMS to the radio station where farmers text and ask questions and, you know, improve our own content. We value feedback because it's a new content, actually. For us, we look at it from the new, being a new content perspective. We've collected feedback by physical visits to farmers. We've also allowed farmers 
to visit us at the radio station and share knowledge with us, you know, and teach other farmers using the radio station. Over the past five years, we've been able to improve the crop yield of farmers by about 45% and household income by about 30%. And this is by developing effective, timely, relevant, and well-adapted radio programs which improves existing knowledge. Rural farmers in Africa have skills, they have knowledge, but what they need is a little support. And that little support, we believe, has to come by education or information so that it will spark up knowledge, it will encourage you to go and get results. And that is what we are using with the radio. While the broadcasts were originally available to an audience of thousands of Nigerians, the Rolex Laureate Award has helped expand the range to between 1 and 2 million people. Plans are already underway to expand the broadcasts even beyond this. We are working to start broadcasting in other parts of Nigeria, not only even Nigeria, I mean in other regions of West Africa. For instance, we've been scaling up the radio station before the end of the year to reach about 6 million listeners. But our strategy, which is part of our framework for development, is that in the next five years, we will scale to reach 80 million listeners in Nigeria, become the BBC radio of rural Nigeria and build more radio stations along countries in the west coast of Africa. Five years, smallholder farmers, rural radio, Farm 98, or whichever frequency it we get, we want it to be in every region of Nigeria. We want it to be listened to by 90 million small farmers across Nigeria, and we want to start the initial step in building radio stations for agriculture, environment, and market access in Ghana, Togo, Benin Republic, all the countries in the western coast of Africa. And with the kind of work he's done already, it's not hard to imagine Inemica achieving these goals. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. Next, let's turn to Dave's to see what holidays we should be celebrating this week. Thanks, Nick. Um, I'd like to wish everyone a happy start to National Scoop the Poop Week. National what? National Scoop the Poop Week. Yes. I'm assuming. Assuming. I'm assuming that's for dog and cat owners. Um. Yeah. I, you could scoop poop for you know, you know everything poops. So. Whatever kind of poop you feel like scooping. Like cow, maybe if you're a farmer, you got cows. Yep, you scoop that. Birds, hamsters. It's spring, you know, we're fertilizing, so. All right. That's green. Uh, today also is pig in a blanket day. Really? So. Who invented that? IHOP? I, no, I think that's a very ancient, ancient food. Is it really? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think the blanket refers to a croissant, so is that... It might be French. I've always learned it was pancakes. I don't know. My girlfriend really likes them, but... Okay, then. I'm vegetarian. You can't ask me about meat. Anyway, uh, tomorrow is... Okay, tomorrow's a big day, okay? Uh, it is Secretary's Day, World Penguin Day, DNA Day, Hug a Plumber Day, and it is International Guide Dogs Day. So... Okay. Um, I can understand, like, Secretary Day... Guide Dog Day. Those World are, Penguin Day. World, World Penguin, Penguin Day. But Hug a Plumber Day, who made that up? Probably a plumber. Who you... They need love. Okay. I, I guess plumbers do need love. Thursday. Another hugging holiday. Hug an Australian Day. 
Oh. Perhaps also, you know, invented by an Australian. Who needs some love? Um, National Pretzel Day, which is awesome. And it's also take your water, take your, don't take your water to work, take your daughter to work day. So. Do they have a take your son to work day? I. Like every time. I don't I know. S- I've only heard of, I've only heard of take your daughter to work day. Every time I, I see it in movies. take your son to work day. Yeah, I don't know. It's. It's always been, you know, take your daughter, never take your son. Or There definitely is a take your son to work day. Is there? Do you know what it is? uh, I think it's sometime in February or January. I'm not entirely. I know. I remember we did it in seventh grade or something. Cool. Uh, Friday is Babe Ruth Day. Awesome. National Hairball Awareness Day. Um, What what kind of awareness? Who's out there promoting awareness of hairballs? Hairball awareness. It's it's a thing. What? For for cat owners? Is this this what they worry about? Yeah, I would think cat owners. I don't. Are there? Is there any other animal in the world that makes hairballs um, other than human beings? Ew, that's disgusting. Hey, it happens. Not to me. Oh, uh, okay, okay. I believe. And you. it's also Morse code day. Morse code day. I know what Morse code is. Yeah. Uh, Saturday is kiss your mate day, which sounds a little demeaning to me. That sounds kind I don't of know. Australian. Kiss your mate day. <laughs> it's uh, it's great poetry reading day, so. Maybe maybe and you can get a poet's corner for us next week. Maybe. And it is oh yeah. And it is also sense of smell day. So you can kiss your girl or boyfriend, read them some poetry and sniff them. <laughs> if you feel like they smell good that day. That sounds great. On Saturday. Sunday is greenery day, national dance day, and zipper day. Zipper is isn't actually uh today. Isn't it the birthday of the guy? The guy who invented the zipper, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's something so. to do with, like, in the same week or so. Yeah. I just saw it on Google. Why yeah, wouldn't it be today? Because that zipper thing we got. <laughs> Why wouldn't it be today? I don't know. We'll have to check that out. Are there too many holidays going on today? Do we Do we know? There's, there's a lot of holidays this week. <laughs> I, saw, I, like, quadrupled up on every day. I'm sorry. Uh, Monday is Bugs Bunny Day, National Honesty Day. Spank out day. What does that which mean? Which is interesting. Wait, I, I was like spank out day. I'm gonna have to read about that. So I looked it up. It is a holiday promoting um, forms of disciplining your children without spanking or mm-hmm. using. Okay, I, I thought method. it was. I thought it was the exact Did opposite. That? that would be a really bad holiday. <laughs> well, I was like, who's <laughs> celebrating that holiday? What kind of sadist? I don't know. Say? It's an interesting idea, though. So, what are some of the suggestions they offer, it. though? Talking sternly. Talking sternly. I think. All right. I made that up. But that's probably <laughs> one of them. And the last one for Monday is it's National Hairstyle Appreciation Day. So That's important. I know Jake's going to rock his hairstyle. DeAndre. Cause, yeah, because Jake's hairstyle is just so different from the it's norm. so suave. It? Look at it. <laughs> it is pretty Your, suave. The, our listeners can't see it, but <laughs> we'll have to post a picture on Monday of Jake's suave hairstyle on Monday. That'll oh, oh, for, for yeah, right. for National Hairstyle Appreciation Day. And if anyone feels like posting a picture of their Austin hairstyle on their head on our Facebook page, Ao right. on the on our Facebook page, feel free to do so. Uh, that'll about wrap up holidays of the week since my computer just died. Right. And well, thank you, Dave. We as always, we definitely appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of Dave, he actually interviewed. Uh, who did you interview last week? I did. I interviewed a, a Mrs. Catherine Lee, and she came in to talk about 
a book that she had written with about 17 or 18 other people. Um, and they all have pulmonary disease. And the idea of the book is just to spread information to people who, um, need it or don't know they need it, but it's uh, crucial stuff and their stories and things. It's called breathing for life. Our stories. All right. And thanks Dave. Let's hear a little bit more about that. There we go. I'm here with Catherine Lee and she and a group of other people have written a book called breathing for life, our stories. And, um, she's here to talk with us about that. Um, Catherine, if you would just sort of give us a brief introduction to yourself. Yes. Um, once again, my name is Catherine Lee and, um, I goes to preliminary center in Durham, North Carolina center for living. And a couple of, of us has gotten together and written a book, um, named breathing for life, our story, which is a very nice book. And, the reason why we wrote this book is because to make awareness <clears throat> of the different types of lung disease. There are all kinds of different types of lung disease. And in our book, um, you will find that each story is different. Some will make you cry. Some will make you laugh. But you will ve- find it very interesting. We want to get our story out there. We want not only the elderly but the young and mainly the college students to be aware of the different types of lung disease that's out there. So they might want to discuss it with their family or maybe someone in their family might be suffering with some of the disease that we have. We also like to let people know that we are selling the books as well. Once again, this is a very serious disease and um, to not be able to breathe is a very hard thing. Can you imagine waking up trying to fix your breath, breath and you cannot breathe or taking a shower and you cannot breathe or even trying to clean up and cannot breathe? It's a very, very hard decision. I am a candidate of that disease. And it's hard, but by going to the Center for Living in Durham and working with the different physical therapists, I'm able to maintain my strength stay on my maintenance, and to one day hope to get better. We have some that are still on oxygen, some that has had transplants and doing well, and some just had lung operation. But still, in all, it's COPD, which is chronic ulnary disease, pulmonary disease. All right. So I'm going to ask you uh, just a couple more, a little more detailed questions about the book. And, um, like, for instance, um, how many people how many people uh sort of went into this and uh went into writing this book and how did the idea to write a book about pulmonary disease uh come about i think it's about 18 people that's in this book and how it came about was through beverly code it came to her through a vision um from god for her to do this and she stepped in and she did it so she got all us together and she asked different ones would they like to write about their story and we tried to put it in the book and we said the one said yes then you had some that said no what what would you say is the main i guess the main goal of the book is to educate to inform to educate and inform 
you will find different stories about different types of disease. And on top of that, we got a um, a glossary in the back where you can learn all the different, uh, give you all the definitions of um, different types of not only diseases, but um, things that's, that's used in the hospital or with people who go in for surgery or just to have um, a lung removed. Some of the lung removal is just it's just so much, and it will yeah it will definitely educate you and um and inform you as well, and it's it's just a powerful book. And would you say um, when I guess Beverly sort of came up with the idea to write the book, were were you all writing it for people with pulmonary disease to like to help them out and show? You know that there's others out there going through the same things that they are, oh, yes. or uh, more maybe even for people who don't have pulmonary disease and need to know a little bit about it. Both, yeah, because you got some people out there with the disease and not aware of it. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I mean, they can have a cough or an ache, and and if they don't get tested or go to a preliminary doctor, a chronic preliminary doctor, they don't know that what's going on until it might be a little bit too late. So you'll have people in this book that's telling stories about when did they decide to go to the doctor and get it checked out, and then the doctor come back and tell them, this is what you got. And they never had any idea, like myself. So there is a there is a point where it's too late to learn? about pulmonary disease i don't know i don't know very much about pulmonary disease in itself no it's not it's not a point where it's too late um to learn but sometimes it could be too late for your body um to heal on its own and then you have to end up when you, when i mean too late your only option next will be a transplant okay and that's what i mean by too late um for an example, if you go too long and the disease, I mean, it's no medicine out here that could heal the disease but just make you maintain and keep, and you just keep up with your maintenance, or you'll have to end up having a transplant. And which some people in the book has had their transplant and doing fine. So, uh, I mean, is there like a percentage or some sort of number of people like what what's the likelihood of fully recovering from 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 this disease oh the turnaround is great duke got a real good system yes um oh you can go in for a transplant one week and, and be at the center the next week walking because they're gonna i mean they're going to have you up walking to get you back in shape. You know, some people kind of get it, you know, have to move a little slow, slow. But I say it's more, it's more positive than negative. Yeah. Yeah. The, Duke has a good uh, system down there. So how has being a part of this whole writing a book, how has it affected you personally? It made me start feeling sorry for myself. I used to be in a slump. It made me realize that I'm not the only one. 
and and I can it is what it is and just one day hope that um I can get better or hope that I can one day have a transplant because mine is at a point where the only thing that I'm gonna make me better would be a transplant so we just wanted to put this all in the book in which you will find it very very interesting and very informative as well so once again i would just like to stress to the audience to try to purchase you one of the books breathing for life our story and just sit down and talk about it discuss it among your friends and you'll be surprised at the different stuff that you would learn it's a very very good book once again thank you so very much all right well um we're going to try and get the word out. And again, the book is Breathing for Life, Our Stories. And I've been here with Catherine Lee. And it's been nice. Thanks for coming in. Let's turn to DeAndre Jones for what's going on around campus. DeAndre? Hey, guys. We've got a lot of cool events coming up. Thursday, the 26th, we have a NASA Twitter town hall. That will be from 5 to 7 in 301 Riddick Hall. Some NASA astronauts uh, by the name of Bill MacArthur and Nancy Curry are coming for an on-campus Twitter town hall. Uh, Next, on Friday, the 27th, we have from 7 to 10 p.m. Animation Fest and Game Development Showcase. So if you're feeling really nerdy, please come out to this. Uh, it'll be in the engineering building room two or building two room twelve thirty one. Don't hate, no hate on, <laughs> on Centennial campus. Hey, I'm not saying I'm not nerdy. I'm just saying that I won't be at the event. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you should definitely go. Uh, this is a, the next one is an ongoing event. You definitely, definitely should participate in this. It's called Wolf Pack and Give. This will be until the thirteenth of May. Um, this is this event. You can donate any household item. And it'll go directly to charity. Um, anyone can donate one at one of the 13 pack rat donation locations around campus. Each container is located essential to campus residence halls. So anywhere that's a campus residence hall, there's a container around there somewhere. I'm sure if you ask the on-duty CA. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty obvious. They're not, there's, yeah, they're they're... Not hard to find <laughs> uh, in addition, large donation boxes will be provided in lobbies of certain residence halls and at Greek courthouses upon request. So please request those if you are in the positions of those locations uh for more events go to ncsu.edu and then follow the calendar link in the top right corner of the page thank you now for the answer to last week's riddle we were looking for a song that included the name sarah lee grayson the only song that happens to include that particular name would be the song happy birthday of course Mm. and this week's riddle is as follows a bus driver was heading down a street in Colorado. He went right past the stop sign without stopping. He turned left where there was a no left turn sign, and he went the wrong way on a one-way street. Then he went on the left side of the road past a cop car, and yet he never broke any traffic laws. Why not? If you know the answer, be sure to tell us on our Facebook page. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT 
And also be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org where you can also download our podcast. Well, that's all we have for you tonight. Until next week. Good night. Good night.